0: I can't give you the normal good morning, but good morning. (laughs) uh, We are delighted always to share the word of God. It's always a privilege. And uh, every message has three good points from those of us who learned homiletics 50-some years ago. I have three points before I start my official message this morning to thank the Lord for this church. We've been attending here for well over a year, and we thank the Lord for the sound expository preaching We thank the Lord for the reverence and worship, and we thank the Lord for the friendly, welcoming congregation. Our message this morning is from Joshua chapter 5, and it's a multiple-choice test. When I was in college some 50-plus years ago, there were a number of ways in which we were tested. We had little blue books. Any of you remember little blue books for testing? Okay, yeah. They were about two cents each and you wrote for an hour or two everything you knew about the subject. I didn't like those tests. That was not what I liked. I didn't like essays. Then there were the true and false tests. They weren't so bad, but I often thought they were kind of tricky. They might just change a word here and there, and it might make the statement either true or false. And then there was the fill in the blanks. That wasn't quite so bad, but you had to get the exact word or phrase that the professor was looking for or... No credit at all. But the the kind of test I like the best is what I call the multiple guess, multiple choice. You would eliminate certain answers and based upon logic, you would choose the right answer. And this morning we have a multiple choice test that Joshua administers. But he gets a very surprising answer. When we come to the book of Joshua, the sixth book of the New Testament, it sounds somewhat like a Dickens novel. It was the best of times, It was the worst of times. Now Moses, my servant, is dead. What a way to start the account. But God is not dead. He continues. He's not dependent upon any one servant. And he continues to bless and to use. But prior to Moses going home to be with the Lord, he had prayed that God would appoint a successor. And God had appointed his successor, Joshua. As they entered into the promised land, they came through the Jordan River on dry ground. And we read in the scriptures, fear had struck the land. And the land was locked up tight for fear of the Israelites. What a time to strike, the moment to strike. But it wasn't God's time. Divine plans are not made according to human strategy. But we live in an age when we are incurably and often impatient. It would serve us well to wait upon the Lord. You notice the scripture verse before you come into the sanctuary here. It talks about being still and knowing that he is God. Before they could face the external enemies, they had to face some internal enemies. They renewed the rite of circumcision. It speaks of a surrendered heart. They celebrated the Passover. It speaks of a thankful heart. They ate the fruit of the land. It speaks of a joy-filled heart. And just a little aside, they ate the fruit of the land on the very day when hundreds of years later, Jesus rose from the dead. It was an Easter Sunday when they ate the fruit of the land, reminding us that not only are we drawn to Calvary, but we're drawn to resurrection life. We don't just look back at Calvary, but to a living Christ. Our Christ is alive today. Amen. Okay, I thought I wasn't hearing correctly. Amen, yes. He's a living Christ who's alive today, reigning on the throne of the universe. But there was a fourth step they had to take. So let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you now for your word. As we come to the word of God, we pray that the same Holy Spirit that inspired this word may now speak this word to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're in Joshua chapter 5. If you're using the the Pew Bible, page 230 on the blue, Blue Pew Bible, Joshua 5 and verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come And Joshua fell on his face on the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Let me share with you three images that uh, this passage presents. The first is the image of a shepherd. As the verse opens, we find Joshua the shepherd of the children of Israel, all alone outside the walls of Jericho. they have been commanded to go into the land. they have been commanded to take the city of Jericho, but no further command on how that's going to be done. So what's Joshua doing out there all by himself? Notice first the shepherd's burden. Joshua was the shepherd of the people. God himself had chosen Joshua for that position, Moses prayed, and we find it over in Numbers 27, Moses' prayer. May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Moses had prayed for a shepherd, that his successor would be a man with a shepherd's heart. And God answered that prayer. It was Moses who first called him Joshua, the Hebrew version of the New Testament name, Jesus. It was Joshua who, along with Caleb, was one of the two spies who went into the promised land 38 years prior and immediately urged conquest of the land because they saw that God was well able. Joshua was the son of Nun, N U N. And Joshua, according to his genealogy, was the oldest son. He most likely would have been about 40 years old when they left Egypt. Recall how they left Egypt under the last plague? The firstborn, the oldest son, who was not under the blood, would lose his life. But apparently Joshua's parents had covered their son and their home with the blood of the lamb, And I can imagine, it's not in the scripture, but that Joshua could wake up every morning and say, I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. What a way to wake up in the morning, jump out of bed and say, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I'm here because of the blood of the Lamb. And after the exodus, he became a special assistant to Moses for 40 years. And by the time we get to our text, Joshua is about 80 years old. It's never too early to give up until God says it's time to stop the ministry. A study of the genealogy also leads us to something very interesting about his relatives. Some of his relatives didn't have a good reputation. They were cattle rustlers. There were cattle thieves in his background. I point this out not to denigrate or defame his character, but to magnify the grace of God. It doesn't matter where we've come from what we've done, if we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we have a place and a usefulness in the kingdom of God. And so, salvation's by grace, services by grace, it's not our past or who we knew that will impede us or put us into the place of the kingdom use. When the Lord calls Joshua to lead Israel, he gave him some very precious promises. Back in Joshua verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, There shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Does that sound familiar? New Testament words, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. It was on the basis of this great promise that Joshua assumed the shepherd role in Israel. And by the time we get to chapter 5, he's led them, Through the Jordan River, crossing the Red Sea, under Moses typifies God's judgment on sin. Crossing through the Jordan on dry ground uh, typifies God's judgment on self. He led them in obedience to the law, observing the Passover, to the place where they were ready to begin battle, but they didn't know what they were going to do. On the eve of the battle, Joshua goes out of the city, looks all about, how is he going to conquer this great walled city of Jericho. How is he going to do it? There can be little doubt that he's out there trying to think of a game plan, because I know tomorrow. Tomorrow we're supposed to take the city, but I don't have any plan, any word. Joshua shepherd of a couple of million of men and women and children. Every decision he makes is going to affect millions of people under his leadership. Before those decisions are made, Joshua goes out alone under the weight of the burden of being a shepherd to seek counsel. And verse 13 says, And he lifted up his eyes and looked. This portion begins a new section, but it's connected by the word and in the Hebrew, meaning it's connected with what went before, but it is a new section. It seems to imply that he had his head bowed. Maybe his eyes were closed, just praying and asking How are we going to do this, Lord? I know you've called us. I know you promised to be with us. But I don't know the next step. He recognizes the tremendous burden that rests on his shoulders. He is seeking the Lord's help to make the right decisions for the Lord's people. He understands that God will answer. God will show himself strong. But he also understands that we need to put forth our own effort. To rely wholly on God is not faith. It's presumption. And God grants Joshua an extraordinary experience. He sees a man with a sword, a drawn sword, in his hand. And anyone who's ever filled a position of leadership knows to some degree how Joshua must have felt. Pastor, the decisions you make in your life, your ministry, your preaching, affect the lives of your congregation. Elders, decisions you make can have profound effects upon the congregation Teachers, as you live and the statements you make in your class and your demeanor are going to affect your students. Parents, decisions we make regarding our children, what they can do what they can't do, where they can go and where they can't go, all carry consequences. Leadership always comes with great responsibility. There's a responsibility to seek the will of the Lord in every matter. There's a responsibility to make decisions that honor God above our personal feelings There's a responsibility to do everything with the understanding that every decision is like that proverbial pebble that's thrown into the pond that ripples out, ripples from our decisions that we make. And sometimes people will understand your decisions and affirm them. And other times they won't understand them. And they may even oppose them. But at the end of the day, listen to this, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what other people think. At the end of the day, have I pleased my Heavenly Father. Put your head on the pillow at night and say, I've I've pleased my Heavenly Father. Because he's the one who's going to stand before him someday. And he's the judge. Everyone will give an account of himself to God. If you've been placed in a place of leadership, take it seriously. Because the Lord does. And so we have the shepherd's burden. I want to move on to the shepherd's bravery here. As Joshua is out there with his uh, head bowed, he contemplates the upcoming battle. He sees an unidentified man approaching him, and the man just doesn't casually walk over. He has his sword drawn, not in his sheep, but he has a sword drawn. He's ready for battle. He's ready for a fight. It's a picture of man who's out there, and he's going to do something. He's going to do damage to somebody with that sword. Joshua does not hesitate, He's a shepherd. He's there to protect his people. And he approaches the man, and he wants to know, are you on our side, or are you on their side? Are you for us, or are you against us? Are you for Jericho, or for you Israel? Who are you rooting for? Whose side are you on? His instincts as a shepherd are aroused. He steps up to the defense of his sheep. Joshua is burdened by the weight of leadership, and what that means. We are living in a time when the church, our doctrines, the Bible, our worship, and all the things that we hold dear and identify as the people of God are under attack. We are living in days when the family, the institution of marriage, our children are under assault, and we need men and women who are not afraid to stand up against the rising tide of evil, who are not ashamed to take a stand upon the word of God, and like Martin Luther say, here I stand, I can do no other, we need people to stand up to protect the word of God, the family, the community, the church, from all who are out there to destroy it, some things in life are worth fighting for, some things in life don't matter, but some things in life are worth fighting for, integrity and obedience to the word and the will of God are worth fighting for. Christian marriage, the family, and our children are worth fighting for. It's time for God's people to take a stand. And so we have the image of a shepherd. The second image I see in our passage here is the image of supremacy. Supremacy. That is the lordship. Who is lord? The text reveals the the problems and the perils and the pitfalls of leadership but it also draws our attention to lordship, to supremacy. And even though Joshua was shepherd of the people of Israel, he himself was under the lordship of God Almighty. And the verse identifies the person and the power that one encountered that day. And we find out as we read through the text that person was Jesus Christ himself, a pre-incarnate appearance, a theophany, an Old Testament appearance of Christ. And so let's notice here, under supremacy, the Lord's posture. When Joshua encounters this man, he is said to be standing with his sword drawn. Now, if you left the sanctuary this morning and went out here and there's a man with a sword in his hand, I don't know how many of us would approach that person. We probably would, you know, kind of walk around that person. I, I walk around the city of Newark sometimes, and sometimes I cross the street, you know, because I just don't feel real comfortable. Uh, here he was with the sword drawn, but Joshua, with the boldness, the Holy Spirit boldness approaches this man who looks like he's ready for battle. He's not a passive observer here. He's someone who's ready to make things happen, a man who's ready for a fight, or a man who's ready to take on the enemy. Biblically, it's clear that our God is in control. I know we look at the world today, and you listen to the news, and you wonder what's going to happen next. But thank God he's in control. He's still on the throne of the universe. And if you've read the book, you know how it turns out. We win. Because he's already won. Our God is in control of all the affairs of life. He's ready in every situation. He's never surprised. And our Christ is bigger than any circumstance. No matter what circumstance we see in the world, we see in the church, we see in our home, in our family, in our workplace... Christ is bigger than any circumstance you face today that you're going to face tomorrow, you're going to face a year from now. And if your Christ isn't bigger, may I suggest you get a biblical Christ because he's sufficient. We're often surprised by the turn of events, but he's never caught off guard. We have plan B. He doesn't have a plan B. God has one plan, and he's going to one day rule the universe. He's never left at a loss at what to do, because he's God. And so that's his posture. Secondly, his position. Joshua encounters the man. He does not know who this man is. He doesn't know, has he come to help? Is he an adversary? And so he asks the question, are you for us or for our enemy? Are you for us? Are you for the adversaries? And the man's answer must have come to somewhat of a surprise to Joshua. The man says, no, but I asked you, are you for us or against us? I didn't give you the third choice, no. But he said, no, neither. Neither one of those. As captain of the Lord's host, I am now come. In other words, the man came and said, I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. Our God hasn't come to take sides. So he doesn't get on our side. We like to pull God into our side. and Have God do things for us wherein he wants to take over. Because he is Lord. And we understand who and what that lordship is. I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. The question was a natural question that Joshua asked. A man with a sword drawn? Certainly Joshua was concerned. No one from his army was supposed to be out there. No orders have been given for anyone to leave camp. So who was this stranger out there who came out of nowhere? and suddenly appeared before Joshua. He's not one of ours. He could be an enemy. Maybe he's a friend. I don't know. In view of the answer given, Joshua's question reveals a typical mindset that can be a threat and a hindrance to us as well in our battles. You see, we often face our battles. There are battles. And the forces are against us and our causes and our concerns and our agendas and even our theology It's not ours. It's his. And so it becomes an us versus them kind of thing. And in a sense that is true, but it's more than that. And so the answer comes back saying, no, I've come as captain of the host of the Lord. The first part of the the answer comes with a flat negation. Neither. Why didn't he say, I've come to help you. I've come to help Israel. I'm here, I'm on your side. Because He's drawing something out in Joshua that needs to be dealt with before they could have the ultimate victory. So the second part of the answer gives the reason. I'm here not to take sides, but to take over as commander of the Lord's army. It's so important it lays down two principles for us that are foundational for all of this life and our warfare against the forces of the world and Satan. There is no question that the Lord was there with the armies of heaven to secure Jericho. So God's people could possess their God-given inheritance. The first principle is, it was not for Joshua to claim allegiance for his cause, for his matter, no matter how holy or how right that might be. The need was for Joshua to acknowledge God's claim over Joshua so he could then work through Joshua and in Joshua. We tend to approach our battles and our causes backwards. We turn things around and we try to get God to be on our side. Certainly, the battle was a joint venture. God and the people of Israel under Joshua's leadership. But Joshua, as with all of us in the army of the king, must be following the Lord, submitting to his authority, taking orders from him, resting the battle in his hands because we realize he is the supreme commander. There seems to be no question that Joshua understood this as evidenced by his question what has my lord to say to his servant you see he's ready to hear what god has to say so often we're busy telling god speak lord for your servant speaks you know i want to talk to you god i want to tell you how to do this i want to tell you how to figure this out here's what you do lord no speak lord i want to know what your directions are we realize that he is the supreme commander what has my Lord to say to His servant? The second principle here that we have is, as one who has come to take charge, the Lord was reminding us and reminding certainly Joshua, of His personal presence and His powerful provision. The provision of, "I am come. I am come." We want to finish that sentence, don't we? "I am come to." And we want this person with the sword drawn to say, "I'm come to do this or that. I am come." Go back to the first chapter of the Gospel of John and you go back to the eternity past and you find the eternal Son who's the Word, who becomes flesh and dwells among us. And then you move down through John chapter 1 and you get to verse 11. He came. That's it. That's the whole story. He came. You don't need to know anything more. He came. The confirmation of the incarnation. He came in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. What do we need to know more than that this morning? Then he came. He is with us. He is God in the flesh. With these two words, we have the whole scope of divine mercy, redeeming love. The promise of God's personal presence always carries with it the assurance of God's personal care and power. Infinite supply, no matter how impossible it may seem. He came. And so there was infinitely more than Joshua's army out there. There was God's army. A myriad of angelic hosts were there to help the Israelites. He tells exactly who this man is. It is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. A pre-Bethlehem appearance. We call it a theophany. The Son of God appearing in human form. Sometimes as an angel, sometimes as a man throughout the Old Testament. It's not the first time he appears. And it won't be the last time he appears here on earth. He appeared to Hagar. He appeared to Abraham. He appeared to uh, Jacob and to Moses and to Gideon. He appeared to Isaac and to uh, Isaiah. He appeared to the three young Hebrews in the fiery furnace. He was there. He appeared to Daniel. He appeared to Zechariah. And when Joshua realized it was more than a man who was there, he prostrated himself in worship. And we know it's Jesus Christ because angels do not allow worship. And so he prostrates himself in worship. And the Lord tells us this is holy ground. Holy ground. When God's people get together on the resurrection day, the first day of the week, I believe this is holy ground because we're worshiping a holy God in the power of the Holy Spirit And this is sacred territory. And you know, there's no other meeting like it on the face of the earth when God's people get together. There's something very special because Jesus said, I am in the midst. He's here this morning in our midst. Holy ground. We stand on holy ground when we gather as worship. And that's why I appreciate the worship we have here and and the reverence for the worship because this is holy ground far more than a man. It must have encouraged Joshua to realize he was not alone. There's a certain loneliness in leadership. It can be discouraging. It can be depressing sometimes. Knowing that the decisions you impact will make, that will impact others. Joshua certainly must have felt alone that night. What a comfort to know that God was with him. The God who had promised to be with Joshua was there. He kept that promise. He had promised to be with us in the high points and in the low points. The same Lord who stepped out of eternity to move in the lives of people in the past, the same God today. Thirdly, we have the Lord's power here. The Lord identifies himself as the captain of the host of the Lord. What Joshua could not see, and what we cannot see this morning, is that there's a vast army of heavenly hosts encamped round about us ready to take on the enemy. The implication is clear. Israel would not face their enemies alone. The power that came to aid Israel in Joshua's day is the same power that came to aid Israel time and time again and comes to God's people today. You ever feel you're facing a brick wall? Joshua was facing a brick wall. Jericho, that was a real brick wall. How am I going to take this wall? And the Lord said, I'm come. I'm here. Don't worry about it. I've come to take over. This is my problem. If you give it to me, if you hold on to it, you can have it. But if you give it to me, I'll take over. He is Lord. He's in control of all things. We need to move on to the third point, the servant. Image is the third image I have. When Joshua realizes who it is who's there, who's standing before them, he places himself in the position of a servant before the Lord. You see, Joshua gets it. He falls down before the Lord. He falls down in worship at the Lord's feet. Joshua's attitude toward the Lord has much to teach us how we should approach the Lord as well. The first command he receives from the Lord has nothing to do with military matters. I would hope that man would now tell me, I'm laying down now, now tell me, how are we going to take Jericho? I want to know. The first command he receives is, take off your shoe. Singular. (laughs) Take off your shoe, because you are on holy ground. The servant's humility. Joshua realizes he is face to face with the Lord himself. He falls down before the Lord to worship. He exalts the Lord. He acknowledges his position by bowing at his feet. He submits to the will of the Lord because he knows who's in control. And then Joshua wants to know what the Lord would have him to do. He's assuming the place of a servant. In an instant, this man who was the general of over two million people falls before the ultimate commander-in-chief, yields all authority, all the power to him. Remember Jesus when he left said all power all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth therefore go and preach he's assuming the place of a servant before the master a crucial step on the road to victory we must be vanquished before we can have victory we must surrender before we conquer and some of us need to do just that lay down our swords because we'd like to take that sword up and win that battle. And we're going to get it, and we're going to see it Lay the sword down. Prostrate yourself and worship before him. We can't have God's power for our programs or our plans. He must have us for his plans. Let me repeat that. We cannot have God's power for our programs or our plans, but he must have us for his plans. God's work must be done in God's way. It's not what we want the Lord to do. What does he want us to do? We are all under authority, ultimately under the authority of the Lord. He is our commander. His will should matter most of all. And we must find ourselves at his feet. The servant's humility leads us to the servant's honesty. The Lord makes a rather strange request of Joshua. Take your shoe off. Why did he ask for just one shoe? The Old Testament covenant, when it was made between two individuals, one person who possessed the power to keep the covenant and the one who didn't, the weaker person would take off his shoe and give it to the stronger. And he was saying, I can't, but you can. Could I invite you this morning to take off your shoe? Not... Not literally, but spiritually. Maybe they're off already. Uh, Take off your shoe. Say, I can't. I can't face this anymore. I can't do this, Lord. I'm tired of fighting this battle. I get whipped every time. It's time I take off my shoe and lay down and surrender to you. I can't, but you can. For Joshua, that was the challenge for him to come to a place where even though he was a wonderful military man, To understand the weakness and inability to gain the victory in and of himself. A call to surrender to the Lord. And then he gets the directions how to take Jericho. And you know the story. March around it once a day for six days. But not until he surrendered could he know God's plan. For us, we need to learn the truth. We can't. But he can. So we have to stop fighting the battle in our own paddle, Stop getting whipped. Take off the shoe. Hand it to the Lord. A place of absolute surrender. Plans are the prerogative of God. Obedience is our privilege. A very unusual situation. Joshua, a warrior, he bowed before the Lord. He placed himself in a very vulnerable position. When you were conquered, you would lay down, and the enemy could put their foot on your neck to hold you down. He placed himself in a position where he could not use his sword. He placed himself in a place of extreme weakness. And then he handed over that sandal saying, I can't, but you can totally yielded, Live or die, he placed it all on the Lord. The question this morning is, have we come to that place in our lives where we've laid it all down? Or maybe we've laid it down and we've picked it up again. You know, We give it to the Lord today and tomorrow we pick up that burden all over again. If you're going to have joy, if you're going to have victory against the strongholds in your life, we need to give it over. We need to yield him the rights, his power, his will, and we'll be on the fast track to victory. And so the question as we close this morning who is Lord over your life? Who's in control? Have you laid down in surrender? Have you said, Lord, what is it you want me to do? Here's my shoe. I can't. But you can. Whatever it is, totally yield it. Master of your life. If you don't hand over, you'll have a life of pain and of sorrow and of suffering, and you won't enjoy the joy that God has for you. I've walked with the Lord since 1954, and He's never failed. He's never failed. And many of you have that testimony He never fails. There'll still be battles but you'll be on the road to victory. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God.